The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 13th. In today's news, the threat of another shutdown recedes. Kevin McCarthy blames the Freedom Caucus for Republicans losing the House, and the Senate passes the biggest land conservation bill in a generation. But first, the big idea. It was August 2nd, 2016. The nominating conventions had just concluded, and the presidential race was hitting a new level of intensity when Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's campaign chairman, ducked into an unusual dinner meeting at a private cigar room a few blocks away from Trump Tower in Manhattan. Court records show that Manafort was joined at some point by his campaign deputy, Rick Gates. They met at the Grand Havana Room, a mahogany-paneled space with floor-to-ceiling windows offering panoramic views of the city. The two Americans met with an overseas guest, a longtime employee of their international consulting business who had flown to the United States for the gathering. He was a Russian political operative named Konstantin Kilimnik. The encounter between the senior Trump campaign officials and Kilimnik, who prosecutors allege has close ties to Russian intelligence, has emerged in recent days as a potential fulcrum in special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation. The Post's Roz Helderman and Tom Hamburger report that prosecutors believe it was at this meeting where Manafort and Kilimnik may have exchanged key information relevant to Russia and potential connections with Trump's presidential bid. Prosecutor Andrew Weissman, one of Mueller's top lieutenants, told a federal judge during a sealed hearing last week that the meeting at the Cigar Club goes, quote, very much to the heart of what the special counsel's office is investigating. One subject the men discussed was a proposed resolution to the conflict over Ukraine, an issue of great interest to the Russian government. During the court hearing, Judge Amy Berman Jackson alluded to another possible interaction at the Havana Room gathering, a handoff by Manafort of internal polling data from Trump's presidential campaign to his Russian associate. It's not clear whether such a handoff took place, what data exactly was shared, and if the data was private polling or public polling. But if the meeting wasn't suspicious enough, the three men left through separate doors at the end so they would not be photographed together. All these new details provide a rare hint at what Mueller is examining in the home stretch of his 21-month-old investigation. Prosecutors allege Manafort made multiple false statements to investigators after making a plea deal in which he promised to tell the truth about this August 2nd meeting and his other interactions with Kalimnik. Manafort's lawyers acknowledge he gave incomplete and sometimes conflicting information during 12 sit-down interviews and two sessions in front of a grand jury. But they say he did not intend to lie. They say he was just confused and at times forgetful. Judge Jackson has told the lawyers that she will probably rule tomorrow on whether she believes Manafort intentionally lied to prosecutors. If she concludes that he did, he could spend several more years in jail than he would otherwise. And that's the big idea. 
Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, lawmakers lined up behind the bipartisan border security compromise that President Trump criticized but signaled he'll support anyway. This will avoid another shutdown at the end of the week. With the shutdown looming, the president suggested he might be able to accept the deal reluctantly, saying that he could then take unilateral steps to fund his wall anyway. The House is prepared to vote on the deal as soon as Wednesday evening. One option White House officials have strongly considered is to accept the money Congress appropriates for the wall, just over a billion dollars, then take executive authority to redirect potentially billions of dollars from maybe military accounts to build the wall. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle claim the compromise as a win. Democrats because the figure that they agreed to is so much lower than Trump's original demand, and Republicans because it gives Trump the ability to build new segments of the wall. The barriers that would be authorized under the deal would be targeted for the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which has been a priority area for the Border Patrol. Number two, speaking privately to his donors, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy squarely blamed Republican losses in last year's midterms on the GOP push to roll back health insurance protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Someone leaked us audio of a conference call with the donors in which the GOP leader singles out the hard-right House Freedom Caucus for forcing this approach. The California Republican noted that several Freedom Caucus members lost in November and said that he's focused on recruiting Republican candidates for 2020 who would be solutions-oriented. He said he's been wooing doctors, Navy SEALs, and a former CIA agent to run. McCarthy's remarks threatened to renew an old rift between the top House Republican and the Freedom Caucus, one that dates back to 2015, when the group blocked McCarthy from succeeding John Boehner as House Speaker. Paul Ryan got the job instead. McCarthy has since moved aggressively to win over these conservatives by pursuing a harder line on immigration and spending. But Mark Meadows, the Freedom Caucus chairman, said yesterday that McCarthy's remarks to the donors were, quote, very troublesome. Number three, the Senate last night passed the most sweeping conservation legislation in a decade, protecting millions of acres of land and hundreds of miles of wild rivers across the country. The legislation also established four new national monuments honoring heroes, including Civil War soldiers and a civil rights icon. The 662-page measure passed 92 to 8. It represented an old-fashioned approach to deal-making that has largely disappeared on Capitol Hill. Senators from across the ideological spectrum celebrated home state gains and congratulated each other for bridging the partisan divide. It's a paradoxical win for conservation at a time when Trump has promoted development on public lands and scaled back safeguards established by his predecessors. The measure protects 1.3 million acres as wilderness, which is the nation's most stringent protection. It prohibits even roads and motorized vehicles. It permanently withdraws more than 370,000 acres of land from mining around two national parks, including Yellowstone, one of our great national treasures. And it permanently authorizes a program to spend offshore drilling revenue on conservation efforts. The package is crammed full of provisions for nearly every senator who cast a vote for it. That's how lawmaking's supposed to work. The bill is likely to pass the House later this month, and White House officials tell us the president plans to sign it. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 13th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.